So we cut Genesis chapter 3 a little short last week because I wanted to um, give it a little extra time this morning, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4 this morning. Um, Now, I may skip over chapter 5. I'm not sure. I haven't really studied it that much, but I looked ahead at it, and there's a lot of uh, of names. Anytime you get a lot of names in the Bible, sometimes I... We'll jump over those, but not always, because there's, there's sometimes it's interesting. So I haven't looked ahead that much, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we go to um, six or seven at this point. So, But there'll be some things noteworthy in five, and I would encourage you to read that because it shows a time gap in there and how the, um, the world is developed and things like that, so... Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through chapter 4, verse 2, read like this. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam and his wife. And then, and his wife, notice it says that now. She has a title. And then the Lord asked, look, The human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4. Now Adam had sexual relationships with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Now, one thing that's interesting, I'm going to pause right here before I go to verse 2. When she says, I have produced a man, was she exclaiming that she had produced a man while, look at Look what I've done. Maybe a little bit. I think there was some joy in that uh, because God said that's how, it, how it's going to happen. But she's also looking forward to the promise of the Messiah that Christ or that God gave her when he said that uh, your descendants. So she's looking forward into the future. And so I thought that was neat and noteworthy. Later she gave birth to her, his brother Abel, brother named him Abel. They when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Now, if we look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, what do you see? It says, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they were suddenly ashamed of their nakedness. So this is the realization of when sin hit them. They felt guilt. They felt the separation from God. They knew the difference between good and evil because they were experiencing it right then. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Okay? And that's what I want to focus on is that last sentence. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Anytime we hit guilt, anytime we get in something, we try to cover it up, don't we? Uh, Whether it's uh, avoiding relationships that might call us out on it. Maybe it's um, covering up the sin. Maybe it's burying the dead body kind of thing. And that's fictitiously. Hopefully I don't have anybody in here. Burying dead bodies. Didn't laugh hard enough for me. No, I was kidding. <laughs> so uh, we'll just move on from that one. No. <laughs> um, 
But you know how many times that we, we see it out there and we try to cover it up, right? It's just like Adam and Eve in here. And God said the figs were not good enough. They were not enough. So in verse 21, the Lord made clothing from animal skins from, for Adam and his wife. This is the first sacrifice for sins of mankind. We see something that had to be, blood had to be shed to cover up these animal skins. It was foreshadowing this. And so this is a covering over of their shame. And that's what nakedness represents in the Bible is shame, okay? And so he's covering them up to cover up their shame. And so you ever wonder why we wear clothes? It's because our nakedness represents our sinfulness, okay? You're like, oh, that's why we have clothes on. Yes, that's why we cover up our birthday suit. Um, that too, suit. Sometimes you got to give me a little grace. My mouth doesn't work correctly. Uh, but this would be an atoning sacrifice for all sin, okay? It's an atonement for sin because it's, Christ will be our redeemer for our sin, okay? So he's covering up our sin and waiting to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, and that's what atonement is. And God's word says in Hebrews 9.22, it says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so this is what this represents, is the shedding of blood to purify, to atone for the sins of man. This atonement was a deferred payment until Christ comes to be the redeemer for all sin. Friends, our hope is in Christ Jesus alone. Adam and Eve's hope is in Christ Jesus alone alone. Everything hinges on Christ Jesus. If we don't have him, we're lost. We're hopeless. And that's not a state I want to be in. That's why I've chosen to follow him. So how do Adam and Eve respond to this discipline? They've sinned. The Lord's uh, cast a curse on them. He has covered them up. He has done some things that are very grace-filled, but how do, how do they respond to this discipline? Let's look back at verse 20. This is what, one of the first clues that we see. It says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all who lived. He went back to his tasks that the Lord had for him. And so he went back, and now that he's in communion with the Lord again, he goes back to naming the animals, and in this case, he names his wife because that was his responsibility to do. Excuse me. Because she was the mother of all who lived. What did Adam choose to focus on? Because she's the mother of all who lived, right? Notice that. It could have said because she's the mother of all who died because didn't she introduce death in a sense, because she was the first one to sin. She is cursed because of that. And now, Adam was cursed as well in, in that aspect too. Death has to be into the equation, but Adam chose to focus on being all, the mother of all who live because we find hope in the Lord. If we don't have the Lord... 
in this situation, we're all condemned to die. Think about it. If Adam and Eve, if the Lord wanted to fix the problem of sin, all he had to do is wipe out Adam and Eve. It's not the only time in the Bible that the Lord threatens to do this. Let me start over. Let me start over. I'm just going to start over. Okay? He does it with Noah. He does it with um, getting down to a specific family in Abraham. He threatens with Moses. Let me wipe out the Israelites. They're too wicked. Let me start over with you. He says, no, Lord, you can't do that. And there's many times our faith has been called into action and his faith has been called into action. Is God faithful? Does he fulfill his promises? Absolutely, he does. Sometimes those tests are to test his subjects just like they are. So Adam was focused on what was going to be in the future. He focused on a Messiah that is going to come save them. What's that called? The hope in the future. That's called faith, right? Did Adam see the Messiah come in his lifetime? No. He lived a long time. He lived like 950 some odd years, right? Almost a whole century. And he didn't see the Savior. So why would God take the tree away? We talked about that last week. It's because if, if he were to leave the tree there, then they would be eternally separated from God because they would live forever in the physical state of sin. God can't have that. He can't be in the presence of sin. He desired to have a relationship with them, and so he introduces death so that we might be able to get rid of our sin and our physical self and our spiritual self can go and live with him. So they move in step with the Lord and they follow his commandments. We see this in another thing, that they um, have sexual relations and they'll be fruitful and multiply. And we see two sons come out of this. Anytime we see the number two in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we see two different points of view. We saw this all the way through uh, the book of John as well. John is very, it's written in Greek, but it's a very Hebrew book. And if you see the number two, you see two different opinions. We'd see this a lot of times with the Pharisees and Jesus. Um, you'd see two different opinions in this. And here we have Cain who cultivated the ground. And we have Abel who became a shepherd. Okay? The way the Lord is laid out by him, and when we listen and obey his commandments, we walk as one in relationship with the Lord on his path. I changed that just a little bit from what's in your bulletin um, because it runs a little smoother. And it's not ones, it's one. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, goes like this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. If you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it 
and be its master. It's an interesting verse in the Bible. Really took me for a loop. It's what drove me down the Cain and Abel story. Why in the world would the Lord say something like that? He obviously means it. If you accept what you do, what you do, what is the, if you will be, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. Eager control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. This really shows and points to free will once again, doesn't it? That we have some control over our actions. That God is not up there just pulling strings and, and causing us to sin, but is our choice to sin. And in the back of their minds, and I don't know if this is true or not, but Adam and Eve, they could be thinking, well, Cain and Abel, they are going to be our salvation. They are going to be, I produced a man, and God promised that this is going to be our salvation. And who did she say that about? She said that about Cain, right? What are we going to find out happens here in just a few minutes? Cain kills his brother Abel, right? Cain is definitely not the salvation that they were hoping for. As a matter of fact, God curses him. And so we see the struggle that's going on in Cain's life. And we all have the struggle. It is all this, always this sin, worldly nature combating this godly nature. And it comes down to the Holy Spirit. And it comes down to our conscience a little bit here, right? Our free will and the choices we make have um, what we would call a conscience, right? Now, as a Christian, we have the trump card. We have what we would call the Holy Spirit guiding our conscience and working it for his good. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you still have a conscience, but you have to be careful on your input because you will find, as we'll see later on in Genesis, man, if they have the choice to do what is right or what is wrong, they pick what's wrong nine times out of ten and eventually ten times out of ten, and God's got to start over with Noah, right? You probably had... Millions of people on there. You had one guy on in, out of millions that follow the Lord still. It's pretty amazing. So conscience, its meaning is with knowledge. Okay, conscience is the ability to act with knowledge. The way your conscience functions depends on the knowledge that you're working with. So if you have a good input, then you will have a good conscience. If you have bad input, you won't have a conscience at all. Okay, I was listening to Unlocking the Bible with Colin Smith this week, and this is where I got this from. It was really, really interesting. Um, I would encourage you to, to listen to it. And if you want that podcast, I can send that to you. Um, it's about a four or five uh, piece. But Colin Smith said we should look at our conscience like an alarm clock. I thought that was, that's kind of like how it is. And the, a good alarm clock, it does two things. It stays quiet when you're asleep, and it makes noise 
to wake you up, right? A good alarm clock stays quiet when you're sleeping and makes noise when you appoint it to wake you up. The problem with our conscience is like that of everything else. When it's broken, it, it's become broken during the fall. So when sin entered the world, our conscience became broken as well. And much like we see here with Cain and God, our conscience may be broken in two different ways. First, we'll talk about during this section, and the next one we'll talk about the next section. My alarm didn't go off. My alarm didn't go off, or it goes off at the wrong time. You ever go to a... He tells a story about... Uh, he went to a, a conference. He was up traveling and was up long, gets to the, the hotel, and some blessed soul, he said, set the alarm clock to go off at 2 o'clock in the morning on the TV. So the TV comes blaring on on the TV, and he was blessed by it. I think it's something how he said it, right? So if it goes off at the wrong time, that, that doesn't work at all. So what, what about if it doesn't go off at all? The temptation of joining the crowd. Everyone is picking on someone. We see this in all so, social corners. You can see this in all social corners. We see this exemplified in, in schools. If you want to see it exemplified even more so, go to a swine confinement building. They will always find the weakest pig, and they will pick on it until they kill it. And that's what we do with our children. We send them to, chill, to school to have them do the same things many times. And that's why we see the problem with bullying is because we haven't taught our kids how to hold their tongue and maybe compliment somebody that doesn't get complimented very often. Right? So... In this illustration, everyone's picking on someone. We have a choice to stand up for them, and yet we don't. Because we know if we stand up to them, to the bullies, they will now pick on us. And the alarm clock doesn't go off. And they pick on that person every day for the rest of their, their time together. Sometimes it results in that person's death. Sometimes it re, that person becomes stronger and they graduate, and they move on, or they get a different job, or they find a different social group to hang out with, but they leave that group, and they escape from that. And that's how it's been, is our excuse. Well, they always pick on him. It's always been that way. That's just Harry. He's stupid, and we pick on him. That's not the right. That's not what we should do. We shouldn't allow that to happen either. When we are a bystander of that, we are allowing our conscience to get be dulled and pretty soon go out. And since it's been overruled all the time, now we even agree that picking on that person is the right thing to do. You see this in business meetings. You see this at work. You see this at the town hall. We've always done it that way. Why is that happening? I don't know. So how are we always treated him. Does it make it right? All of a sudden? No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And since the conscience is being ruled, overruled all the time, it is weakened. 
Our conscience has been re-educated to not go off. Titus 1.15 says, Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and conscience are corrupted. Okay, We have to keep our eyes on Jesus if we want to keep our conscience in the right place. And so if we start straying off down a path that doesn't line up with Jesus' values, with Jesus' commitment, then we're in trouble. And if the, this pattern continues, Colin says the conscience becomes seared, which we'll talk about in the next pattern. To bring this home in Genesis 3, 6 and 7, why are you so angry, the Lord says, why do you look so dejected? If you accept, if you will be accept, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. What's that mean? It means we have a choice. What do we focus on? The old saying, garbage in and garbage out. If we focus on garbage on, and input it into our lives, we're going to spew out garbage. If we choose to focus on our pain, we're going to spew out pain. If we choose to focus on joy, we're going to spew out joy. If we are a delight and we choose to input delights into our lives, we're going to spew out delight right? That's why it's important what we input. It's important to guard our eyes and guard our minds when it comes to the news. It's important to guard our minds and guard our ears when it comes to what music we listen to. It's important to guard our feet when we're walking down the street and we have Choices to take, whether we're going to go in to the bar, go into the strip show, or go in wherever it may be. We need to guard our eyes and guard our, our mouses on the computer when we can do the same thing. We need to be careful when it comes to anything that's going to compete with the Lord. We have a desire to... have a relationship with him, we need to put him first. And don't let sin overrule our conscience, lest it break your soul. And we walk away from him. The way, the, the way to the Lord is laid out by him. When we listen and obey his commandments, we walk as one in relationship with the Lord on his path. Let's see what Cain does. Some of us know, some of us don't. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries, and this word it would be screams out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which was, 
has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Where was Cain's identity? What did he work? Did he work with the animals? Or did he work with the ground? He worked with the ground. And now the Lord's taken that away from him too. It's the consequences of his actions. He killed his brother. It's the first murderer in the Bible. They didn't wait too many generations to get there, did they? One generation in, we already have our first murder. Two people alive, other than Adam and Eve. You know, two more people, so we got four. Now we're back down to three. That's like, wow. In this case, we have a seared conscience. What's a seared conscience? Well, Colin Smith cites 1 Timothy 4.2. Those people are hypocrites and liars. Their conscience are dead, or in another translation, they're seared. Well, what does that mean? What's it mean to be seared? If you are in a dangerous situation, let's suppose we're all British and we're all double-O spies, right? And we're running away from the enemy and we've been shot and we're bleeding out. If we don't attend to this wound, we are in trouble. We do not have any medical facilities around. We're being chased by the enemy, so time is short. You happen upon a small flame, um, maybe it's a torch, and your buddy is there running with you, slightly trained in medical issues. All you have to do is you, you can hide, you can duck in this corner for the next hour, you'll be safe, your buddy can fix your arm, but the only way you can do that is by searing it. So he heats up his knife and he places it on the wound and he sears that closed. That's what it means to be seared. What's the result of that? Well, the pain is so excruciating, you pass out first. When you wake up, the pain is nearly gone because not only have you seared the and cauterized the wound, but you've killed all the nerve endings as well. You've killed everything there that would, that would um, indicate any pain. So yes, the bleeding has stopped, but you've killed the nerve endings, and that's what it means to be seared. You don't have any feeling. You don't have any cares whether that comes. Paul says that's how it, that is how it is with some people's conscience. They have been seared with a hot iron. Their conscience has lost all sensitivity. When that happens, a person can, they can lie, they can cheat, and they can steal without the consequences of raising any objection. Have you ever met somebody like that? They can lie straight face to your, straight face right to your face, and you wouldn't even know that they're lying. They make up the wonderfulest stories, and none of it was true, or they heard it from somebody else. Yeah, yeah, sociopath is right. They feel good. They feel no guilt because their conscience is seared. They've conditioned it that way. 
Sometimes it was out of a matter of survival when they were younger. Sometimes it's what they've grown into because it's easier to get what I want if I just lie to you. Paul was like this before Christ intervened on the road to Damascus. He thought what he was doing was right. And so did he have a conscience? Yes, but he was going down the wrong path. And as he walks down this path, that was, he was very passionate about, he finds out that he was going down the wrong road. And God intervenes in a mighty way. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you beating your head against the goads? Why do you keep insisting going down this wrong path when you know something's not right? Because how are you justifying killing people? It just doesn't make any sense. Would I really want to do that? No, I don't think I don't think the Lord would. Again, a seared conscience would be like a suicide bomber, actually thinking they would be rewarded for their actions because their conscience has been skewed so much, they've been brainwashed so much to think that is correct. Is it correct? No. There's yeah. They've been they've There's no conviction. Colin Smith ends it with this. A man's deeds grow more evil, or as a man's deeds grow more evil, his capacity for denial will grow. So as he gets more evil and walks down that path more and more, he can deny it more and more, and pretty soon he doesn't have to deny it at all because his conscience isn't even bothering him anymore. The more a person engages in sin, the easier it is to to live with it. And those who continue longest in the patterns of sin are least sensitive to to the sinfulness of their behavior. I don't understand why it's wrong. It's It's okay for me. I can handle it. All excuses we've used to condition us down the path of repetitive sin, right? You're not alone in that. I can guarantee you that because I've said that myself several times. But what happens when we walk down that path? I know, so let's just go, I'll, I'll I'll get pretty vulnerable with you this morning. So struggling with pornography, something that I struggled with for a long time. The problem with pornography is, is that you can't just go to, let's say, a level five and just meet your gratification. You have to go to a five and a half and a six and a six and a half. Sometimes that happens with alcohol too, or sometimes with certain drugs. You have to have a little bit more to get that same high that you had before. Right? The problem with pornography in that is, though, is you can't stay with the same images. They have to get more graphic. They got to get more. You got to have videos instead of pictures. You got to have, and it consumes you. And when you walk down that road, it's not going to stop there. It doesn't stop at pictures, it doesn't stop at videos. It's going to want to go into your life. And come out and manifest in whether it comes into rape or making your wife do things that you're not 
I don't know, didn't need before. And it's wrong. It's a distortion of what the Lord has got for you. Now, praise God that I had a conscience and I didn't have to go into anything physical. But could it have gone there? Absolutely. Our sin nature desires those things. But praise God that he directs our conscience when we are living with him. And as the deeds get more evil, the capacity to deny will grow. I can handle this. I can, I can do this. And it's wrong. It doesn't go that way. It will take you down a road that you, do, you can't recover from eventually because there's consequences to our sins. And people say we must all follow our own conscience. And this is reasonable, and it's right most of the time. But remember, if your conscience is calibrated by the wrong values, it will approve wrong things. I saw one this morning. Um, if we teach our kids how to hide under the desk, then why is it wrong to teach our kids that, about two dads? Their conscience is seared. Why is it wrong? Because they're two different morals. They're two different moral arguments. You're talking about an evil coming into this kid's classroom in two different ways, in my opinion. In their opinion, they don't think the second one's even evil. They have a broken, seared conscience. And that's wrong. And the Lord has something bigger for us. And here we have Cain. Cain, where's your brother? And his response is, was it my day to watch him? You can just hear it in Cain. Just arrogant. Was it my days? Yeah, am I my brother's keeper? And God, his response isn't there, but it's implied, actually, yes, it was your day to watch him. Right? Notice Adam and Eve sin. What does God do? He comes in asking questions. Cain sins. What does he come and do? He asks questions again, right? Adam and Eve, they at least point to the problem. They don't necessarily want to take responsibility, but they point to the problem. Cain doesn't even do that. He just keeps up the charade. He just keeps up the charade. I don't know where he is. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> and you can see how one problem leads into another and leads to another, and it snowballs. Walk out of it. Admit that you got a problem. Admit that you are caught in lies. There's relief in confession. There's relief in the surrender. God answers him, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood screams out, to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will you, will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless wanderer on the earth. Friends, we cannot hide our sins from the Lord. We will all have a reckoning of what we've done. 
Is he faithful to forgive us of our sins? Yes, he is. But it doesn't mean that they won't be in the books. We're still stacking them in the books, right? There's, there's two books. There's a book of life, and there's a book of what we've done. To get out of the book of what we've done, Jesus has come with his blood, and he's written his name over all those things. He says, those aren't your problems anymore. Those are my problems. I took those to the cross. You have rescue because of what I've done. I've sacrificed for you. Will you sacrifice for me? Right? That's the difference between our relationship there. And the book of life is then what we ask. When we surrender, he puts our name in the book of life. Praise God for that. Amen. Whew. Thought you were sleeping there, CJ, but no, you're right. Bam. Amen. Just kidding. I didn't think you were sleeping. I wasn't even looking. Uh, friends. Is there? Yeah. Yeah, any any shooting like that, yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I'm aware of that. It happened on Tuesday. Yeah. We can do that on, when we close the service, okay? Pray for those people. We can't hide our sins from the Lord. We do have a choice. Do we hang on to our sinful ways or do we hand them over to the Lord to walk his path? Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 says, Take your yoke upon, or take my yoke upon you. Let my teaching, let me teach you because I am humble, gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does it mean, what, what does a yoke imply? It implies a little bit of work and a little bit of weight, right? They're not necessarily easy. You ever put a, you ever put a yoke from an oxen yoke on your? Self, it's hard enough just to hold the yoke, let alone pull anything with it. So there are some expectations that there is a yoke that we need to follow. And it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes we're going to be pulling uphill, aren't we? Against the culture, against what we need to do. But I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It means when we stumble, when we're pulling that yoke, he's not going to whip us. He may come alongside us and get in the other side of that yoke and push that burden with us. It doesn't mean we do have some responsibility, right? We have free will, so therefore we have a responsibility to follow him, to seek his word. But we will find that rest for our souls. But in this lifetime, there are going to be troubles and trials because we follow the Lord. Like, one small trial this morning was not replying to that comment <laughs> on Instagram when I really wanted to. But that's just minor. That's minor compared to many other things. The way of the Lord is laid out by the Lord. When we listen and we follow through by obedience on his commandments, we walk as one in relationship with the Lord on his path. Let's finish up where we're going to talk about. 
Cain replied to the Lord. Now, I want you to listen to his reply. And I might taint it a little bit, but I just, every time I study this, I think Cain is so stinking selfish. Look how many times he's concerned about the Lord and how many times he's concerned about himself. One of them is zero and one of them is a lot, okay? Just listen to this. Cain replies to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The only thing I can kind of maybe give Cain just a little bit of a credit is that he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. Right? It's the only thing that he kind of, but I think he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord for his advantage. It's the only reason why he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. So the last one I put, cast off fear. Because I wanted to title it fear, but I don't like to put things in the negative. I want to put them in the positive, and we need to cast off fear. i got five minutes left. Cain's response is much different than Adam and Eve's. Adam and Eve turn to the Lord, and the Lord atones for their sin. Cain, he is focused on himself. Look at my punishment. They'll kill me. I have been cast out of your presence. They have... You have made me a homeless wanderer. You've cursed the ground. They will find me and kill me. This is really an eye for an eye mentality, folks. He is kind of selfish. And that's where an eye for an eye comes from. When we see, when we see, when we see somebody go through... With an eye for an eye, we want payback. We want revenge. Revenge is selfish. It's effective, but it's selfish. It is much harder to forgive, and it is definitely a giving, an act of giving, an act of love to forgive someone. It is so hard to do sometimes. But I think that's what the Lord taught us to do and set the example for us to do. The Lord still places his hand of protection on Cain. He puts that mark on him as a sign of protection. What kind of God of, does that sound like? Does it sound like a God of second chances? And third chances? And fourth chances? Right? It sounds like a God of second chances to me. He still longs to have a relationship with Cain if Cain would just turn back to him. After all Cain has done, God still wants to have a relationship with him. And it doesn't matter what you do, folks, or what I do. You might say to yourself, oh, my, he couldn't forgive me. My sin's way too big. You don't know. You don't know what I've gone through. And I don't know what you've gone through, but I do know how big my God is. He's way bigger than all my sins and your sins and anybody else's sins that turn to him. He can handle it because he's God. He defeated death. He defeated the sin on the cross, and he can uh, defeat yours and mine 
It comes to surrender. And when we know that, and we still say that my sin is too big, that is arrogant. As a form of pride that God needs to squash out of our lives. Friends, he longs to have a relationship with you as well. And it starts with admitting your sin to the Lord. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I confess to you that I am a sinner. Then ask him to come in and clean your heart. Lord, I ask that you would come in and clean my heart and make it as white as snow. Come live and be in my life today. And I want to listen and obey your word and walk with you in a community of believers. Because we know that perfect love casts off all fear. It's 1 John 4.18. The way to the Lord is laid out by him. When we listen and obey his commandments, we walk as one in relationship with the Lord on his path. Now, do we have wickedness in this world? Absolutely. Tuesday was a good example of what CJ brought up, right? Now, are we going to go tell those people that, well, that the Lord didn't want that to happen. It was free will. No. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to pray for comfort for those people. We're going to stand in silence with those people, just like Job's friends did. And we're going to come alongside and we're going to pray for healing for this nation because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that he is the answer to the sin problem because God set it up way back in the beginning. And we'll pray that he'll make everything turn out for the good for those who love him. And that's a hard prayer to pray times like on Tuesday, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are a broken nation. We have turned away from you. We have turned away from your values. Our morality line is drifting from center. Lord, we pray that it would come back to you. We pray that it would come back to your words and what you have to say to us. Lord, forgive us when we go off the deep end. Lord, we pray for those that are the victims of that deep dive, both in our lives and down in Texas, Lord. We pray that you would be a comfort for those family members. Lord, we pray that you would be a guiding light to them as they walk in dark times right now. Lord, we pray that they would be able to cling to you. Pray that there would be clergy and pastors that would come alongside those people and their families as a whole class was eliminated out of that district. Lord, we pray for the, the teachers. And Lord, we thank you for the heroes that went in to save others. And we pray for those that, that made it through um, the death and destruction and the survivor guilt that's going to come afterwards. We pray that you would be a comfort in them and help them work through that and see that you have a plan for them as well. Lord, you have a plan for us here today too. Lord, we surrender to your will. We surrender to you, what you have for us to do. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name that we might 
uh, turn over these burdens to you and guide and direct us closer to you. Lead us, protect us as we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who make disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.